Well, I want to thank everyone, uh, all the worship uh, le leaders there. Thank you so much for the songs. Thank you, Karen, for sharing communion. You know, we're here, you know, we came for the food, right? Casseroles were amazing, the bagels. No, we really came here to, 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 to feel connected to God. I think that's why people come to Easter service. If you're going to come to church, if you make your, your yearly journey to the, to the building, um, you're there because you, want, you respect God. There's a part of you that is respectful. There's a part of you that goes, hey, I need to get up and make the effort to go to church. I got to get the kids up early. We're going to do If I'm going to do it one time a year, I'm going to do it at Easter. And what a day to do it. I mean, Jesus got up from the third day of sleep, and you guys got up. So congratulations to yourself. You guys got up. Um, for many of us, you know, we might have grown up in church. We might not have. If you grew up in church a little bit, you always, you, you, you were taught that Jesus um, died for us, came down from heaven, and lived among us, and died and resurrected because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden, you know. And that's true. But that's only part of the story. And this morning, I hope to enlighten you to the, the Bible's view of how the world is. And we've gotten sanitized from this world. And I'm talking about the supernatural world that God exists in because he's a God of spirit. He's in the spiritual realm and we worship him. But we, I don't think in church we acknowledge that enough. When we read the Bible, you can miss a lot of things that Paul is trying to plead with anyone who wants to follow Jesus, that you have to be aware of the spiritual forces that are at work against you and against me and against the church. And hopefully this morning, I will hopefully enlighten you, encourage you, and, and give you a, a warning to open your eyes to what's happening around you. The question is, why should we celebrate Jesus's resurrection? You know, it says there's three things that we want to we want to clarify to start. That the, this is why Jesus came. Most of us know the number one. He came because Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. Eve ate the apple, gave some to Adam, and now the, the, the entire world is, is set on fire. No, they just brought death in. That, that, what, what happened with them was that, hey, they made a mistake. They, they disobeyed God, but they welcomed the opportunity for death to come into humanity. When they were in the garden, they could live forever in God's presence. So God removed his presence from the earth, and now you and I will die one day. Just like we've buried our, our grandparents and our parents, we will perish. So the question is, that, is that all that Jesus came to do? Yes and no. There's more. Not only did he come to rescue us from death, to give us an everlasting life, an opportunity to be immortal. That was one. That's, that's the promise of the Garden of Eden. The second was depravity, the corruption, evil perversion that's all around us you can see it to this day but it was back then too and there was a reason why that happened there was a reason why corruption and depravity and, and perversion was all throughout ancient civilizations and lastly jesus came to defeat the powers of darkness who are they they're all over they are around you they are trying to enslave you they are trying to uh take over the way you think about god they are at work and so these are very three things that Jesus came to overcome, not just death, but how do we live a holy life? He came to rescue us from depravity, and he also came to defeat the powers of darkness. Yes, Adam and Eve made a mistake. They rebelled, and they were, they were taken out of the garden, but God made them close. 
God knew when he made man, he already knew this was going to happen. It wasn't a shock or a surprise for God. But God had a plan. He goes, I'm going to make man and they're going to blow it. But I'm still going to come after them. I'm still going to rescue them. I'm still going to be their God. I'm still going to pursue them with all of my heart. Doesn't that, doesn't that sound awesome? So God's pursuing us, even though they brought death and, and into our lives. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Eve. Appreciate that. Right? Paul even says, look at, hey, I'm a wretched man. Who will rescue me from the body of it? Who will rescue me from death? Because Paul goes, I'm going to die. Who is going to rescue me from my sin and my physical mortality? If you were to ask a, 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 this question, why is the world and all humanity so thoroughly wicked? If you ask a Christian, he'll just say Adam and Eve. They, they messed up in the garden. And that's true, but there's more. If you were to ask an ancient Jewish person that, they would say, yes, it was in the Garden of Eden, but the watchers, these divine beings, are to blame for the proliferation of evil on the earth. And that may be new to you. You may have never heard that. This, these watchers, these, these spiritual beings that are documented in the Second Temple Jewish writings, that are documented all over the world in literature of the ancients, they came down. And we're going to take a look at that. So if you were to ask this, those guys, they're, they're like, hey, there's a lot of problems. In Genesis chapter 6, we get a little insight as to why the flood happened, why God washed the earth. If you're a history channel, I'm a geography major, so I always watch the boring geography shows. And about 10,000 years ago, 10,000 BC, there was a global flood called the Younger Dryas, and it washed out ancient civilizations that were 10,000 BC years old, way before Egypt, 5,000 years before Egypt. They're finding all their temples, and all their temples, all they did was worship the stars, the equinoxes, the summer solstice, the lunar moon cycles, and they were, they were doing that for a reason. The Bible speaks of these, these depravity of, sexual, of a sexual nature. These, and, and we're just going to use the angelic beings for, for a catchphrase. But in, in heaven, these were uh, men or, or angelic beings of, that had a title. Imagine you go to a hospital. Not everyone's a doctor, right? There's a nurse, right? There's an there's a LVN. There's a doctor. There's, a, there's an anesthesiologist there. There's the administration. Well, same thing in heaven. God has these spiritual beings, but they have different functions. And so when human beings were increasing on the earth and, were, and the daughters of, uh, were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. The Hebrew word is they took them for themselves. It wasn't like, hey, how you doing, Mary? What's going on? It wasn't a courting. It was a taking. It was a, I'm going to take you, your mind. That's what they did. And what ensued there was a perversion of the angelic and the human's realms were, were mixed. And that was an apostasy to God. So they brought in this, this perversion. And so the, the writers of the, of the ancient writers of the Jews, they were like, these beings are morally evil and spiritually destructive. But in ancient civilizations, they're not characterized this way. In fact, they're elevated to be the wisest men of civilization. And the Bible says, no, they're morally corrupt. They're destructive. They're evil. And so therefore God washes the earth of them you may think that you know this is this is this is material you can even google this 
these are some of the, the writings of, the, of what happened. They came down and they taught humans things, signs of the earth, enchantments, witchcraft, ornament, and cosmetics. Don't, you, don't, don't get caught up with that stuff because it was, it was designed to attract and to have perversional. Uh, the Israelites were the only nation that had laws condemning you couldn't marry your sister. You couldn't sleep with your relative. They were the only one of its kind. The other civilizations like, that's par for the course. That's normal. But to the Jewish Israelites, God says, no, you will not live like that. Because what the sons of God did was corrupt them. They taught them how to do war. They taught them astrology. They taught them meteorology. They taught them all kinds of secret wisdom of the stars and the heavens and all kinds of depraved things. So in the ancient Jewish mind, Man, it was Adam and Eve. Yeah, they brought death in, man. But man, these guys did a number on humanity too, okay? And it's not just the Jews who acknowledge this. If you just go to the Roman Greco world, Achilles was a son of a god and a human. You know, and so was Actaeon, and so was Achus, and so was Atis, and so was Aeneas. These guys were all god and men combined. Not just there, but you find that in Mesopotamia. There was a, there was a, there was a half divine being, half human of the Apollos, they were demigods. Ancient Egypt had the same thing. Philippines, whoa, there you go. They had the same thing. India, same thing. Gods and humans mixing. Hindu, and even the Norsk. Ha ya geo, Norsk. Right? Throughout the entire world, this idea of an angelic celestial being taking on and, and having a sexual relationship with female humans was all over the place. So when you ask yourself, why is the world so perverted and messed up? They've done their work and they've done it well. And the Lord saw how great the wickedness of humans the race had become on earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was evil all the time. So it wasn't that just Adam and Eve just corrupted the world. No, no, they, they messed up, that's for sure. But they still worshiped God. These guys were, were God's creation, his sons, as he's called them. These are celestial beings of great authority in the Bible. And they rebel. And they come down and they make another race of half human and half celestial beings. The Bible calls them giants. You're like, well, that's so, it's only in the Bible. No, in Egypt's literature, guess who made the pyramids? The giants. In the Mexican culture, look it up. In their literature, the giants made those temples. Oh, in India, guess who made their temples? The giants. The giants were everywhere. In all the literature of all the ancient civilization, it's the same thing. The only difference is the Bible speaks against it. And they lift them up as the civilization architects of this amazing uh, uh, city they had built. And God says, no, they're corrupt and they'll entice you to live like them. So, and then there's another portion is the powers of darkness. That's a little, little different from these guys that uh, took the women for themselves. The, the, the human race got together and said, you know what? We're going to go reach the heavens. And we're going to make God come down into the ziggurat. And that's why these were, these were built in the ancient civilization. It was a gateway to earth, to heaven. That's why they built it. And on top, they would send their priests up. And there would be a gateway into the spiritual world. And they were inviting God to come down. And the Bible addresses this too, because this was pretty common in ancient Mesopotamia. 
So this was a, a ziggurat, and it was a gateway, and they said, God, we want you to come down because we want you to do our bidding. And God goes, no, 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 we're not doing any of that. So here's the story in, 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 the, in, in Genesis 11. Now, if you look in Genesis 10, it's just a list of countries that they knew, table of nations. And then this is chapter 11, and let's read this chapter. It says, but the Lord came down to, to see the city and the tower the men that were building. And the Lord said, if, if, if as one people speaking the same language, they were able to do this, then nothing they do will, will, will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not, so not understand each other. Now, God's talking to his entourage. When he says, let us, it's not like, you know, three, it's, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but he's got angelic beings, he's got heavenly hosts, he's got sons of God. They're going, what's going on down there? Oh, man, that's not good. So God goes, let's go down there and confuse their language. And so the Lord scattered them because God gave them the direction, spread out the earth, come on, populate the earth, spread out. They go, no, we want to combine it and we want you to come down here with us. And God goes, no, I want you to go and spread the earth. So how does he do it? He messes up their language. So God goes, okay, he scatters them, and they stop building, and that's why it's called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them all over the face of the earth. So when you look at chapter 12, it's just got it in Abraham. It's like, where's the rest of humanity? So you go from table of nations, tower of Babel, and then God goes, Abraham, you're my guy. I'm going to build a whole nation around you. Well, what about the rest of humanity? What about all the people that were scattered and had to go create their own countries and nations? What happened to them? And this is where the powers of darkness come in. God goes, and this is Moses telling the story of what God had done at the Tower of Babel. He says, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he scattered them with their own language, he divided all of mankind and he set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, are his allotted inheritance. What Moses explained to the Israelites is that God gave guardians, his own sons, to be the guardians of the other peoples that scattered. And God was going to begin with Abraham. So now you have all these nations. And then you have God and Abraham, and I'm going to make you, Abraham, into a great nation. And our kids sing the song, Father Abraham had many sons. That's because God was going to start anew because humanity had rebelled, and he gives them guardians. If you're a Bible student, you really love the Bible, read Daniel 10 when the archangel Michael is fighting one of these guardians called the, from the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. He's in spiritual combat with them over the protection of Israel because they want to harm God's people. So God gives them these, these, uh, these guardians. And if you're not sure if they're really celestial beings, look at wh who, who these guys are. When you, when you do a word search in the Bible and you look up sons of God, you only find them in the spiritual realm. When God made the foundations of the earth, he's telling Job this, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy when the earth was made, they were there from the very beginning. They were with God, God's creation. Who in the skies and in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of God is like the Lord? A God greatly feared to be in his council of the holy ones and awesome above all those around him. God has a council. He, he has creation. He has sons of God. He has angels. He has cherubims. He's got all kinds of 
of celestial beings in his disposal, in his court. And these guys were in charge of the rest of the nations to look out for them, to be their, to be their guardians. And so what you find here in Deuteronomy 17, God warns the Israelites because what's already happened, the nations now have, have converted these guardians into their own gods. And, and, and God warns the Israelites, do not worship the sun, the moon, or these, these heavenly hosts because they are evil. And that's an evil thing if you worship another spiritual being. It's detestable to God. And so these guardians of these nations, they rebel. And so God calls them in for a meeting. He says, come here. And he says this to them. This is what the scriptures describe. This behind the curtain, God has a meeting with his sons who are the guardian of the nations, who are supposed to protect them and look out for them on God's behalf. Look at the powers of darkness. Look what happens to these spiritual beings who are giving authority over humanity. Look what they do to us. God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. There's God and there's gods. Right? So when you watch the movie, the gods, yeah, they're, they're, they're there. They're there. They're just lesser gods because God made them. How long will you defend the unjust? And show partiality to the wicked. How long will you favor evil? How long will you promote evil among my creation? You're supposed to defend the weak. God loves to defend the weak. You're supposed to defend the fatherless. God is a father to the fatherless. You're supposed to uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. You're supposed to protect humanity. Look out for humanity. Supposed to rescue the weak and the needy, and you're supposed to deliver them from wickedness. You're supposed to help them. And God is angry, and God is upset at the sons of God who have now manipulated, coerced, and deceived humanity. In fact, they are worshipped as the God of the nations of Egypt, of Ammon, the Ammonites, the Hittites, the Jebusites. They are now the gods of those nations, and they are in opposition to the God of Israel. That's the war you see in the Old Testament. That's why God's fighting all those battles. He's not just fighting other nations. He's fighting against the guardians of those nations as well. And so this is what God says to them. The gods know nothing. They understand nothing. Imagine getting rebuked by God. You know nothing. Well, I, I, I thought I learned. I thought I knew. Maybe, maybe I don't really know. I thought... You walk around in darkness. Imagine hearing that from the Lord. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Because of their rebellion, they have shaken the spiritual realm on earth. And he goes, I said, you are gods. You are, my, you are the sons of the Most High. But you will die like mere mortals. That is your destiny. You're spiritual beings, but I'm going to kill you as if you were a mortal. You will fall like every other ruler. Then rise up, this is what the psalmist says, rise up, O God, judge the earth, and take back the nations. That Hebrew word, rise up, is a little clue to what happens later. In the Hebrew, translated to the Greek, it's resurrection. It gives you a little insight to what God's going to have to, what he has to do to bring back the nations. He's going to have to rise 
up. It's just a little tantalizing clue. And then Paul, all throughout his letters, he's trying to warn the Christians. He's like, guys, wake up. And if, if you're wondering why you're, you're stuck and, and you can't overcome a, 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 a crippling sin or a, or a terrible habit in your life, Paul is trying to, he's trying to warn us. He says, look, at, when, you, when you didn't know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Who do you think he's talking about? The guardians, the powers of darkness. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? That was their goal, to enslave you. That's their whole goal, is to keep you far away from who God is so you would never know the God of Israel. You would never appreciate him. You would never respect him. You would never honor him. That's what their goal is. You, and then they, look, 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 look what he says here. Because you're starting to go back to observing special days and months and seasons. You're starting to worship the stars again. You're going back to the equinoxes. Yeah, you know when, the, you know when Venus was out and Jupiter, everyone was like, oh, even I was like, oh, it's amazing. I mean, you can't kind of get caught up in the moment. You're like, this is awesome. You can see why the ancients were fascinated with the celestial beings. Because even our, even our Instagram, we wanted it to blow. And it was blowing up. I was like, wow, I got a lot of people got like, more likes than my selfies, right? Here we go. Here we go. And this is what they're enslaving you to. This is what Paul's trying to warn them. He's writing to the Christians who have, who have been, who've been rescued, but the fight's not over. Just because you become a Christian, the fight is not over. And they know that. And they know that you're, once you're saved, they know you're not always saved. They know that. So they, if they can enslave you again, they got you. And so this is, this is the, the acts of the flesh. These are some of the things that the watchers did, the sons of God did to, to, to the women. Immorality, number one. Impurity, debauchery. That means that you, you know, you're, you, you're a workaholic. You don't, you, you're never home. Uh, you, you drink too much. You play too many video games. You're just, you're just debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Interesting Greek word for witchcraft is pharmacia, pharmacy. Interesting. Not a political statement, just saying that's what it is. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, groups, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and like. I warn you, if you live like this, you will never inherit the kingdom of God because you will be enslaved again. So Paul's warning us. And then again, in 1 Corinthians 8, he goes, hey, Corinthians, your church is messed up, and I'm here to help you, but you got to listen. For, for even if there are these so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, indeed, there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, there is but one God. He's acknowledging that all around us are gods and lords in the spiritual realm. Some will defend us. We call them ministering angels. Some look after us, but others want to enslave you. And they will never stop doing that. So the powers of darkness. And Paul gives us a little warning. In all his letters, he just, he just throws in this stuff in almost every letter. He just he, Every church is getting a nice dose of the powers of darkness. He says, see it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of evil. There's the Greek word. 
supernatural powers. They're trying to change the way you think. Does God even exist? Is God real? Right? With the more technology that we have, it with more even the AI, artificial intelligence, man, it starts to mess with your mind a little bit. Like, whoa, what's, what's going to happen? Are we in a matrix? You know, you're like, whoa, are we? this is weird. Right? Supernatural powers. of this. They want you to focus on that rather than on Jesus. They're hard at work. And Paul, another letter, different letter. I'm just showing you different letter. Paul's just peppering the stuff in there. And we read it, we're like, uh, and I used to read these passages for years going, don't know what that means. But now I know what it means. And I want to share with you because it's, it's Easter, it's the resurrection. He, his resurrection is, is going to directly attack them. For our struggle is not against each other. If you have an attitude with someone, that's not your real struggle. You can get resolved and you should get resolved, right? And when you do that, it always works out really well when you're humble, right? If you're mad at your spouse this morning on the way to church, get resolved this afternoon, right? Get resolved. Hey, against, our, our, our struggle is against, look at that word, rulers and authorities. Those are geographical wording terms, governors, counties, states, districts, right? Rulers authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms they're almost in every letter of paul he's constantly trying to make us aware of the supernatural forces that are working against us and we got to be careful that we don't get duped and start fighting with each other right because we can all we're a family we can fight very easily you know how families are i mean good lord right every thanksgiving there's something going there's some drama and Chris's drama. It's easy when you're a family. It's easy. But that's not our struggle. That's not the real enemy. The real enemy are the powers of darkness. And Paul tells the Corinthians this. If those powers of darkness, if they only knew what God knew. We, however, speak of a message of wisdom among the mature. But not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. He's talking to those powers of darkness who are coming to nothing. God told them that in Psalm 82. They know nothing. They're coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. God's plan from the very beginning was, I'm going to make humans. They're going to mess up, and I'm going to have to go down and rescue them. But only God knew the plan. The powers of darkness did not know the plan. None of the rulers, none of the powers of darkness, None of the authorities, none of the guardians of this age understood it. Remember when Jesus came to earth and the devil showed up in the wilderness? Hey, throw yourself down from this temple and the angels will rescue you. He was asking, can you die? Can we kill you, Jesus? And, and he deduced, yes, we can. Let's kill him. God is on the earth. He's vulnerable. He can bleed. Let's kill him decided to do and none of the rulers of this age understood it for if they had they would have never crucified jesus in the first place if they knew the plan only god knew the plan if they would have known that they wouldn't have did nothing but jesus wanted them to kill him jesus was always provoking the powers of darkness demons get out of that guy you be quiet get out of there get out of there get out of there he wanted it because he knew the plan 
They didn't know the plan. And here's Paul. And this is what the crux of the, of the crucifixion of Jesus is, not just for uh, giving us immortality, not just of, of helping us overcome our depravity, but to disarm the powers. Because God gave them authority. So God had to take away their authority. So when you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Jesus. That's awesome. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us, condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed, stripped away the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I always used to think that was the Roman Empire. But it's the, it's the, it's the powers of darkness. And I'll tell you why that's important. Because when Jesus gets up and he resurrects, remember, he just took away their authority. He disarmed them. Look what he tells his disciples. All authority now has been given to me. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I've displaced the powers of darkness. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and make this. I want you to go and love as many people around you as possible. Go and make disciples of all the nations. I want you to go into every one of these nations where the guardians have rebelled against God, and now you have access. Go get them. Go rescue people. Go save mankind on God's behalf. That's why this passage is so powerful in light of what he's saying. The authority's back in my corner. I have it again because the guardians had it. Now I have authority over the nations. Now go and make disciples of them. And we do this. And we preach this all the time. This is one of our, one of our bedrock passages of Christianity. Repent, change. Decide to make, make a decision. Change. Change today. Just in your mind, I'm changing. I'm repenting. That's what it is. And when your mind changes, your behavior follows, right? And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, amen? And then look, you get a gift. It's pretty awesome. You get a gift. You get the gift of God being inside of you, and that'll help you overcome depravity, right? God gave it to you. You can do it. If your Christian has fallen back into sin, you can get right back and overcome depravity. Just repent. Right? You don't need to get rebaptized. You just got to activate the Holy Spirit. Activate him. Activate him. And this is what this is why God made the church. And I read this passage a gazillion times. This is why God said, Hey, this I'm gonna get if you're a disciple, I'm gonna get you all together. I don't want you to congregate, I don't want you to be heaven on earth, sacred space. You're gonna be amazing. I'm gonna be with you. This is why. I am less than the least of the apostles. This is Paul talking. This grace was given to me. I'm going to preach to the Gentiles, not just the Jews, the boundless riches of Jesus, and to make plain to everyone this mystery, which has been kept hidden for ages, that, that God made. His intent, God's intent now, through the church, was to show his wisdom so they could see. So who could see? So the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms would see the church and what God has done. So it's important how we live our lives. It's important that we live with purpose. It's important that we have discipleship making in our mind through love because God has made known to them through us, through the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, 
what you accomplished in Jesus. See, now you know. Now you know more than most Christians of why Jesus resurrected, of why he came. I probably can't just do this sermon again in this church. If I have to go somewhere else to do the sermon. Now you know. What am I going to give you for next year's Easter? I don't know. I'm going to scratch my head. Scratch my head. It's frustration time. But here's what we can do this week. Spend some time with someone. Spend time with someone. There are people around you to spend time with. And don't get caught up and enslaved into work. Or get enslaved into laziness. So that's how I get, you know, Netflix is there for a reason. I'm not going to lie. Karen and I were watching it last night. I was like, Whoa, one more show. Woo! That was the nail bite. Let's go one more, right? I mean, it can get you. It can get you. So if you're going to do it, just, just put it in the schedule. This is my Netflix day. And this is my, I'm going to go love someone day. You can break it up. Just don't do Netflix every day, right? Right? Here we go, right? So set up time with someone. Set up time with someone to encourage them. And then stay consistent in your relationship. Don't give up. Never give up because Jesus never gave up and God never gave up on humanity. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Well, God, thank you so much for this awesome, it's just the story of what you've done. And the church is, is just showing the powers of darkness, your wisdom that you're here to rescue humanity. You're here to take humanity back from being enslaved. And help us, God, those of us are disciples that we get, you know, we get entrapped again. We get stuck again. It's, 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 a, it's an ongoing uh, battle and struggle for our faith. God, help us to overcome our, our weaknesses. Help us to do it through love. Help us to do it through conviction. And help us of doing it through reading your word and praying, God. Help us, God, to overcome our, our, our humanity, our, 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 just, our just weaknesses that we have. And help us to be aware of making time for you. Just spending moments with you. Just sit at your feet and just to, just to, just to appreciate your presence in our lives, God. We appreciate you so much. We see your glory. We're, we're so grateful for the resurrection. And we celebrate in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I just want to thank Gio because that was uh, impressive. He did his spark notes in the entire Bible in one sermon. <laughs> um, all we're missing is revelations. So I get to talk about our contribution. For those of you who don't know me, if you like what I say, I'm Logan Popic. If you don't like what I said, I'm Kyle Popic. Um, so today I get to talk a little bit uh, about generosity and things of that. And so I want to read a quick um, sermon or I guess tell you about a little quick story about Jesus uh, telling a parable about the rich man and Lazarus. So there's a, a rich man who uh, had a poor man who was outside his house. And every day, the poor man begged for money and Lazarus walked on by. And he did that for his entire life until Lazarus ends up at the end of his life. And he ends up in hell while the rich, I mean, when the rich man ends up in hell and Lazarus ends up in heaven. And the rich man is begging to be given a second chance. He's begging to be given an opportunity to repent, but he can get begging an opportunity to even just taste a little bit of water for he's in agony. And the tables have now been turned and he doesn't get the second chance. And, in, and then after that, the rich man is like, okay, okay, I get that I don't deserve the second chance, but can you please, please tell my friends who are still alive to tell them right now so they don't end up here where I am. And what Jesus tells them is they have the same opportunity you have. The prophets have already told them. It's up to them to listen. And so I love this story and it's terrified of the story um, because it's so easy to be the rich man in this story, to kind of do the walk on by. Um, another scripture that I feel like goes really entwined with this one is the one where people get to the end of days and Jesus says, hey, 
away from me for I never knew you. And they're like, what do you mean you never knew us? He's like, hey, when I was hungry, you didn't give me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. And I think about that. And they're like, when did we see you there? And Jesus is like, every time you did something for the least of those people, you did something for me. Um, and I don't know if you guys have ever had an experience, but I'll tell you one thing. Every time you come up here to preach something, you better believe either the week before or the week after you're going to be tested on it. Um, so lately I've been doing these contribution generosity things and I've been tested on it lately. Um, I had a birthday somewhat recently and some of you gave me some awesome gifts and I was very thankful. Ryan Figueroa gave me $50 cash. I appreciated it. I was like, man, I miss cash. I'm not a topper's delivery driver anymore. I miss it. Um, and so for the first time in a while, I have cash in my pocket. I'm like, oh, this feels great. I'm having a good time. And I went on a date and I had a mother come up to me. He's like, hey, I can't afford food. Would you please buy me a meal? And I was like, well, I guess I'm buying her a meal. And so I was like, all right, I'm glad. I'm glad I did that. I took care of it. Not 20 minutes later, I had the same exact situation. And I was like, okay, am I going to do it twice? And so I did it the second time. And I'm at this point, I'm left with the, the $10. And I'm like, all right, $10. You know what? I gave 40% or I guess 90%. 80, God, I'm mad. 80% of my money. Uh, I'm like, all right, the $10 I'll keep for myself. And I had one more come up to me. And I asked myself, I was like, okay, is it worth it to me? And I gave it up. Um, because at the end of the day, I didn't do anything to earn that money. It was given. And so generosity breeds generosity. Um, and so for me, I don't know if those people truly needed the money or if they didn't. For all I know, it could have been a scam or con or whatever. But to me, that's not so much what matters. What matters is at the end of the day, when when I get to heaven, am I going to be able to say that I did something for the people who asked something of me or I walked on by? And for me, it's worth it to say I did something. And I don't think every bit of contribution has to be giving to the church or giving to the homeless person in your city, but it's the act of generosity. It's the willingness to give back to those who have given to you or even those who've never given you anything at all. Because how many times have we received something we didn't deserve? How many times has somebody else had your back? How many times have you called somebody when you had a flat tire and they came to your aid? So I beg you and plead to you because right now you're here and you're not at the heaven or hell stage. Don't do the walk on by. Take the opportunity to love the people that you see here and now. Thank you. I'll pray for contribution. Then we'll have a few announcements. God, I want to thank you that we're still here and we still have the opportunity to change, Lord, the opportunity to repent, the opportunity to still be generous, God. I thank you that anytime I come up here, you test me and make sure what I say is true, um, Lord. And I thank you that we get the opportunity to still love and give, God. I thank you that generosity does breed generosity, Lord. I ask that as we go through this week, God, that we would continue to be generous, Lord, generous to the church, generous to those we love, generous to those we don't even know, Lord. I ask that we would just be able to give as you have given to us, Lord, and to be thankful for the gift you have given us, Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen.